Welcome to Son of a Preacher Man with Jonathan Martin, a new podcast that's all about finding beauty and brokenness, grace and grit, God and the ambiguity of the in-between. This episode is a sermon that Jonathan preached on Trinity Sunday at Dreamhouse Church in Newport News, Virginia, where Scott Crowder is the pastor. In this sermon, Jonathan reflects on the Holy Spirit and the idea of moving with the Spirit as an invitation to the divine dance of the Trinity that leads us to a life of love and calling, mercy, and grace. Enjoy. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. How can anyone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should be not surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You were Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you did not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one who has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. It is so good for my own heart to be here, and I'm just grateful for the the gift to be here on Trinity Sunday. Trinity Sunday. Do you know it was Trinity Sunday? Yes, you did, because God already told you. uh, Trinity Sunday is worth celebrating. I, in my part of the world, we didn't talk a lot about the church calendar this way beyond Easter and Christmas. And isn't it cool? I keep discovering, well, there are all kinds of other great things in the church calendar besides just Easter and Christmas. Other cool stuff happens too. Pentecost, we just celebrated Trinity Sunday. So especially excited to be able to share a bit about the Holy Spirit with you today as it relates to Trinity. Let's pray before we go any further. Um, God, I'm so grateful for the gift of my new friends here and I got even a few weeks ago in Chicago just being with the Crowders, just such a sense, Lord, of just uh, of, of safety and trust and rapport, that kind of deep soul kind of knowing that you just give us sometimes. I'm grateful for that and grateful for the gift of this church and her witness to this community. Uh, Lord, on a, on a day where we think about the, the Trinity and the way that you call us up to be caught up in that triune love, Lord, we, we don't just want to talk about these things in a cerebral way. We want to experience them, and we want to experience you. So, Lord, in the words of the Apostle Paul, we just pray for a spirit of revelation today. I always grasp for words for it, but, Lord, just that, 
that kind of divine flow that sometimes we just step into, that's what we want, where there's a pathway uh, to your very heart and things are being opened up to us in real time and being opened up to me in real time. I want that kind of yieldedness, Lord, and I want that kind of movement. Uh, so we just invite you, Spirit, now to speak to us, to direct us. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, Amen. I'm going to stop visiting in a second. I know I should get the message, but I love Scott's music so much. So I hope you know what a gift that is. And just the worship today. Oh, so good. By the way, I just need y'all to know, Crowders, that I, it's weird and a happy association. Whenever I think of y'all, I always think of Boyd Crowder from Justified. I love that show so much. And of course, Boyd also was kind of a renegade preacher. It had a, had a bit of a past, but he, you know, he... He rounded out well, and like, I don't know, even like your kind of when your black denim thing, it just feels like Boyd Crowder to me. So that makes me happy. Kind of an outlaw church thing happening. I'm into it. <laughs> I'm really feeling that. <laughs> That's so awesome. Yeah, I, I wanted really just today to focus on one verse in particular that we just read from John 3. Uh, if you want to look there just one more time. John 3, verse 8. Well, we'll start at verse 7. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. And here, verse 8. The wind blows where it chooses. And you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Since it is Trinity Sunday... I do want to talk about the Holy Spirit, how the Spirit relates to the Trinity, how the Spirit relates to us. Uh, I feel like I should give the disclaimer that it seems quite evident to me that the Holy Spirit is not neglected here. <laughs> That's evident. But in broader Christian tradition, the Holy Spirit is so often the forgotten member of the Trinity. It really is true. It's interesting. And you know, all traditions have their gifts, but going all the way back to uh, when the Catholic Church split and became East and West between Catholic and Orthodox. One of the things that was lost is that on the Eastern side of the church's tradition, there was always such an emphasis on the Holy Spirit. And when that split happened, a lot of what left kind of the Western church was that, that kind of emphasis on the person of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, but all the things that are great about Western Church and Western Catholicism and later Protestantism. One of the things that we find is that in Western thought, kind of across the board, it tends to be much more cerebral, more analytical, more rational, a lot of reason. Reason's not bad, but you, you, miss, you miss that whole emphasis on the Spirit. Uh, when I read the great Reformers, and there's a lot of things to love in the Reformers, but what you do find is a certain, just a certain kind of rationalism there. All the emphasis is on ideas, and they're wonderful ideas. Justification by faith through grace, great idea. But so much of it is conceptual. And, and in all of that head, you miss some of the heart stuff and some of the gut stuff. Um, when, when you lose the emphasis on the spirit, they're just... There are all kind of things that get lost in, in the mix there. One of the things I would say, and I hope this isn't too scandalous for some of you. I notice you kind of casually kind of shifted into a his, her, referring to the Spirit a little bit earlier. You know, really, th it, since the beginning of Christian tradition, 
the Holy Spirit has often been connected with, if I can say it this way, the feminine side of God. You know, in, the, uh, in several of our translations, for one, the word for Holy Spirit is often in gender neutral, but then in a couple of the earliest translations in, in, in Greek, it actually is in the feminine, and some of our earliest Christian hymns refer to the Holy Spirit as a her. So there are these ways that even throughout Christian tradition, the Holy Spirit was connected with that, that side of God. When you think about Jesus weeping over Jerusalem and saying, Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, how much I have longed to gather you like the hen wants to gather her chicks. That side of God, that tenderness, that maternal side, that a very different kind of knowing, you know. Um, Sophia or wisdom is often connected to the Holy Spirit and would also be in the feminine because there's this idea that wisdom is intuitive. That wisdom, you know, is not so much about intelligence, head, but it kind of comes from your gut. There's that in your belly kind of knowing. All of that corresponds with the Holy Spirit. Emotion, feeling, not bad words. The Spirit, according to Romans 8, which we didn't read that today, but also is, is one of the lectionary readings for today. The Spirit is the one who sighs and groans and weeps and sighs and weeps for us and with us with groans too deep for words. The Spirit does that. The Spirit connects us to a different kind of knowing, a different kind of being in the world. And I'm saying all that to say, I think there are real reasons why a lot of us, both in broader Christian tradition and even in our kind of everyday lives, tend to maybe emphasize the Holy Spirit a little bit less than we do the Father and the Son. Because the Spirit, the Spirit has a lot to do with mystery. It's hard to pin down the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the one who broods over the chaos in Genesis 1. There's something about the Spirit that's fluid. There's something about the Spirit that's dynamic. There's something about the Spirit, and this is what John 3, Jesus really gets at here, that just can't be controlled. No wonder we don't always deal with the, with the spirit side of God so much because that's the part that's very conspicuous to us. We really can't control. Can't control the Holy Spirit. The wind blows wherever it goes. We don't know where it comes from and we don't know where it's going. Jesus says, so it is for all of those who are born of the spirit. Now, if you think about that in terms of qualities or characteristics that we admire, that we like, that we value. This feels silly, but I'm, I just said, let, let, me, let me just play with this for a second. Let's say Scott Crowder decides to run for Senate. I don't know if you've ever considered running for Senate. I would vote for you. But if Scott Crowder decides to run for Senate, imagine a political ad that says Scott Crowder. We don't know where, he's come, where he comes from. We don't know where he's going, he blows with the wind. Like, who votes for that person? <laughs> In fact, isn't it, it it's, it's considered a slur, really, to say that someone moves with the wind. It's considered a, a sign of weakness to be changeable. If you change your mind, if you change your heart, people will say, He's a flip-flopper. You can't trust a flip-flopper. He said this at one point, and now he's saying that. You can't trust a person like that. No one seems to value changeability or unpredictability. We value stability, control. We want to know what we're getting. And yet, 
One of the things I think is so funny, even in light of this text, is that it's the same passage, of course, where we have John 3, 16, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, and this whole thing about being born again. I just think it's fascinating that Jesus describes being born from above in these terms, that like the Spirit, you don't know where they're coming from or where they're going, this whole idea of kind of moving with the wind, because I feel like that's so opposite of how we even think about following Jesus. I mean, when people think about uh, being born again, I think for a lot of people that's synonymous with the life of predictability and stability. Like, follow Jesus so you can be a stable, rooted person. God bless you if that's your experience. Mine is the opposite. Following Jesus seems to be a way of often being uprooted, <laughs> always on the move because God, who is the God of the Exodus, is always on the move, so we're always on the move. Seems like you never sit still. I mean, the beautiful thing about it is, I think, because the kingdom of God is within us, there's a way that home can be in here. But there's always a, a kind of restlessness to it. There's always a kind of wandering to it. I'm glad if following Jesus has, like, nailed your life down. That has just not been my experience. And the way that Jesus describes it, apparently what it is to be born from above is not to eliminate all the chaos but to kind of follow the Spirit into it, to go deeper into the fray, <laughs> to, to be movable, to be moldable, to be flexible. See, I think what happens, and this also, I believe, is a consequence of that kind of Western emphasis on head, rationality, reason, is that we tend to confuse righteousness with rigidity. <laughs> if you're rigid, then you're righteous. If you stand your ground and you never move, that's what godliness looks like. And sometimes standing your ground and not moving is what godliness looks like. Unless God is on the move. <laughs> Unless God is moving. That's how it is, by the way, about a lot of things with life in the Spirit. If anybody has ears to hear this, there are a lot of things that are true except when they're not. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's true except when it's not. Good and right to be rooted and grounded and immovable unless God is moving. In which case, you don't want to be standing there. You don't want to be stuck there. I feel like so much of what it means to walk in the Holy Spirit is to be adaptable, is to be flexible. The very definition for me of the word vulnerability is that we're open to others and we're open to God in such a way to where they can change us. Sometimes people talk about this like it's a bad thing. How relationships can change you. I hope your relationships change you. Kind of a bad thing, I think, if in our relationships, like we're so static that our experience of God and others, does it ever challenge how we think? Does it ever provoke us in some way? Because, see, part of what I think the role of the Spirit is, even within the Trinity, is that because the Spirit seems to represent that side of feeling and emotion and that kind of interactive thing, I think that it, that gives us a glimpse into the way the, the heart of God, especially like in Old Testament kind of stories, the way that we see God's relationship with His people is always dynamic and it moves and changes. Not... It's not so much about being reactive. I think what we have right now in our world is a ton of reaction. And being reactive ultimately really isn't a good thing because when you're reactive, 
okay, somebody says this, I'll say that. Rush to judgment, right? If you're on this end of the pendulum, I'm going to go all the way to the other immediately. Like being reactive isn't good because that means you're, that's a bad kind of blowing in the wind because that means you're, you're too easily dictated. Let, let me put it like this. Uh, so in that case, uh, instead of sort of being responsive to people in a tender and open way, it often is a way of just being too easily dictated by your own emotions, you know, just, just reacting. I don't want to be a reactive person. Uh, actually, I am kind of a reactive person by nature. So the Lord has to help me with that because I feel like I need, especially now in a digital age, social media and all that, we feel like we need to have a quick response to everything. As the kids might say, a hot take, right? So there's this pressure to like quickly form thoughts and opinions. I'm not talking about being reactive, but there is a way that I think life in the spirit is all about being responsive. Not reactive, but being responsive. Our engagement with God and our engagement with others really does change us. Now, people, of course, will deal with this theologically in different ways, and that's fine. I mean, it's a long historical debate about what all God foreknows, and not only what God foreknows, but what he kind of uh, prescripts somehow before time. But, you know, if you read those texts at face value, what do you do with something like God in Exodus saying, I'm going to wipe everybody out? And then Moses pleading, interceding, God, please don't do this. And if you read the text at face value, it says God changes his mind based on that interaction with Moses. When we read the prophets, we see something of the vulnerability of God's heart, that God himself is, is, is kind of worked on by the responses of his people because God has a heart. And God takes a risk in loving us the same way that we take a risk in loving any other person, which take the risk of being hurt. And so often in the prophets, you can kind of feel the heart of God crying out in pain. There's a, is any of this making sense at all? There's a dynamic that's there. It's not static, it's dynamic. And there's an, there's an openness that's there. I think it is such a challenge for us as the people of God to retain the right kind of openness to the Spirit. And understandably, we're afraid. We're afraid that if we're open to the Spirit, that's the real fear, isn't it? Well, what if in trying to be open to the Spirit, we open ourselves up to things that are not the Spirit? What if in trying to be open to God, we open up ourselves to things that are not good for us? That's a real question, right? And, like, and, and, it, and it's why discernment matters. But I'm convinced the further I go in this journey anyway, that if our focus really is on Jesus and our practice is of prayer and of the presence of God and worship and loving each other in community, you know, I just, I'm just not quite so worried anymore that when I'm doing my best to just be open to the presence of Jesus and the words of Jesus, that somehow Satan is going to get in the middle and intercept that sometime and like give me some kind of a, you know, I'm just I'm not living in fear of that so much anymore. I think when we live humble and hungry and we're in community and we're following Jesus together, it's all right. It's good and right to trust the Holy Spirit. It's good and right to be, to be flexible about some things. It's good and right to, 
I think one of the marks of walking in the Spirit is I think you end up apologizing kind of a lot. Because the Holy Spirit keeps taking us deeper and deeper into truth. And the deeper and deeper we go in the truth, the more we realize we were wrong about a lot of things. We end up apologizing often. It's all right. It's okay to say, this is what I thought then, or this is what I did then, but now I'm at a different place. I think I was wrong about that. I'm really sorry. One way that I think that this applies is that um, no matter where you are in Christian tradition, no matter where you come from, Everybody has some version of good old days in the past where they say that's where God really showed up and did the good stuff. If we could just get back there, if we could just get back to then. And sometimes, and that can be uh, the book of Acts, if we can just get back and just be like an, like an Acts 2 kind of church. Or we'll say if we could just have a, we, if we just have a New Testament church. Man, I'm all for New Testament churches. I just hope you're aware of what you, what you mean when you say that. Because you want to talk about New Testament churches. Which New Testament churches do you mean? You're talking about Corinth or Thyatira or Pergamum? or Because when you read about the actual New Testament churches, they're as jacked up as our churches. And the apostles preached in them. And they had just as much conflict. They had just as much strife and division and spiritual gifts are abused, and there's wackiness, and there's personality conflicts, and Paul in 2 Corinthians clearly has his, his feelings hurt because everybody's rah, rah, rah about the so-called super apostles. You know what I'm saying? Like there's, like, there's just so much humanity in the early church. So then we say, like, we want the New Testament church. We, we have a romanticized vision of that that's just the Holy Spirit breaking in in Acts 2. Actually, those churches were quite complicated. And you know, if I can say it this way, I really believe that the heart of, of, of any form of fundamentalism is that, uh, and in that, not even just in Christian theology, but like in any kind, of the, any kind of fundamentalism, there's always a good old days, way back then and there, that people want to get back to, that's never real. Because the good old days just really weren't as, weren't as good, maybe, or at least not as simple as we thought they were. It doesn't mean that God wasn't doing good things. This is what I always think when people get nostalgic and wistful for back to the good old days here in America where nobody cussed on television and we didn't have rap music with cussing in it. And we just, I tell you, it was just a wholesome, clean, good time. Right, okay. Think about this for a moment. We, what era? So, so we want to go back to the what? The 30s, the 40s, the 50s? Jim Crow laws. The good old days decidedly weren't good for everybody. I, I, just, I really think that whenever people talk about good old days, there's always just, there's a kind of mythologizing that's going on with that. Romanticizing a thing to make it out to be something that it never really was. And so we get stuck there. I didn't mean to interrupt my little mini lecture on the theology thing. So if you're... If you're super, if, if you're really, really Protestant and you love the Reformation, then all constructive theological work stopped in the 1600s. There was a moment, like Luther came, Calvin came, now we have all revelation, and that is the mark. Like if we, th those, those are the good old days. And if you're Wesleyan, and I'm largely Wesleyan, then the good old days were during the Wesleyan revival. And if you're Pentecostal or charismatic, like a lot of us are, then, man, we really, really love Azusa Street. And Azusa Street is awesome. There's wonderful things about these revivals. But you know something? 
as a person who came up in the Pentecostal tradition and then learned a lot about it, I learned that even the earliest years of the Pentecostal movement, all the great things that happened, spirit is poured out, one-eyed son of a slave preaching in a shack in Azusa Street, the spirit of God is moving and women are preaching and all races are worshiping together and it's wonderful. And man, you also read about all kinds of racism and debauchery and weirdness that go back to the earliest part of the movement, like even then, it's always there. My, my point in context of this sermon is this. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of the future who brings God's future to bear in our lives. The prayer that Christians have been praying for 2,000 years, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're looking forward to. It's located in the future. And our prayer is that we want God's future to come crashing in on us. And if what it is to follow the Spirit then is to be people of the future, then it can't ever be the right thing to romanticize or glorify the past. Because what we're looking for is, has not yet fully come. His kingdom has not yet been fully come and realized on earth as it is in heaven. That's still out there. That's still in front of us. Do you hear what I'm saying? So instead of wistfully looking over our shoulder, romanticizing something about the past, we want to follow the Holy Spirit into this good future that God has for us. Where is God taking us now? Where is the Holy Spirit leading us now? And I can already feel the fear in the air just a little bit, but that could lead almost anywhere. It could. That's, that's true. I believe in discernment. I believe that we have to wrestle with Scripture and tradition, and we have to do that in community, like all those things. And yet, and yet, I still want to maintain. You know, what I think anybody learns if they follow Jesus for a while is that there's some things that God might do in a particular season or moment of your life or the life of a church that might be good and right for that season. But then when that season's over, that may not be what God's doing anymore. And if you're still hung up looking for the good old days, <laughs> I'm not going to go to this text right now, but there's a beautiful passage in Isaiah that I always think is interesting. Because the prophet Isaiah, in the way that the prophets often would do, starts out riffing by reminding the people of God of what God did when he delivered Israel up out of Egypt through the Exodus. And everybody knows that song. Everybody hears the opening riff on the guitar. And they're like, we love that. And they're all excited. And it's, just, it's this call to remember. Remember what God did when he delivered you up out of Egypt. Remember what God did when he split the Red Sea. Yes, yes, we love that story. That's our favorite story. Sing it again. And then God says to the prophet, now forget about all that. Now forget about the past. Because behold, the Lord says, I want to do a new thing. And there's such a tension in that, isn't it? How is the prophet able to simultaneously tell us to forget and also to remember? For, which is it? Forget or remember? You can't do those things simultaneously. Except maybe you can. Because I think, I think what, the, what the invitation there, I think what the call is, remember that God is a deliverer. Remember that our God is the God who saves. Remember that our God is the one who delivers. Now forget how God delivered you before. Now forget how God did it the first time. Because if the miracle you needed at one point in your life was for the seas to be parted, and now you're in a desert, guess what? You don't need the same miracle. 
And what God did way back yonder that was so awesome and so glorious that you're right to celebrate, remember, wouldn't help you if it happened here now. <laughs> Man, that just, I just felt something in that. Because <laughs> I think so often, I'm like, oh God, if you could just do it now the way you did it then. That felt so real then. That was so good. If the people around me could just experience you the way that I experienced if I could just have a taste of that again. <laughs> Not realizing that if God did the same thing now that he did then, that it wouldn't, it wouldn't mean the same thing for where I am now. My needs aren't the same. There are ways that the world around us has changed. There, our, 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 our needs have shifted. We're in need of a different miracle. But as it so often goes with things of the Spirit, we have no idea what we need. Am I telling the truth? We have no idea what we need. How often I've tried to tell God what I need. I, I am clueless. And it's fine, of course. It's fine to pray exactly what we want. I'm actually all for that. Be particular. That's great. But I just do it kind of holding loosely because what I've learned is that so often the stuff that I feel like I really most need or even most want, not, not really what I need. And if I'm hung up on... God, I need you to deliver me this way. I need you to do it this way. I need revival to look a certain way. By the way, I just need to say right now, I'm, I hope y'all aren't bored, but Scott, I'm having the best time because you spe he specifically told me that he normally goes like 45 minutes to an hour. I'm like, this is amazing. I've been in all these churches lately that I adore, but many of which like do like the 15, 20-minute sermon things. I'm like, I, I, can just, I can just go on and on for days. I'm not conscious of any. This is so great. So I just hope y'all are, are relaxed because... I'm having a really good time right now. There, there's just no, we don't really know what we most want or what we most need. And there's this way that, that there's a continuity, yes, with who God has been in the past. But, you know, that, that's something I'm thinking about a lot these days. I mean, I'm talking about adaptability and flexibility. And I have to think the very first thing somebody thought when I said that. You know, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Well, what about immutability, put it in theological words? You know, I do believe that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But part of what that means to me is that since Jesus is the full revelation of God, full revelation, who God is and who God has always been, looks like Jesus. Part of what that means for me is that, well, hey, you know, so, many of, so much of what we got in the story before it was helpful. God used it. It's the word of God, all that. But, man... God from the very beginning has always had the heart of Christ, the character of Christ. Jesus is what God looks like, the image of the invisible God in Paul's phrase. So, you know, I, I do think there's a fundamental way that the character of God has always been the same. But you do understand there's a difference between saying that God's heart never changes, that God's essential character never changes. That doesn't mean that God doesn't do wildly different things <laughs> from one point of the story to the next. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yeah, he, his heart is consistent. His character is consistent. You can trust that. You can trust God to be good, for example. The goodness of God. That is steadfast. God is not good sometimes and not good others. God is not loving sometimes and other times not love because in the language of 1 John, God is love. Loving is not an attribute of God. It is who God is. You, so you can be pretty certain that God's always loving because God is, in fact, love. So those things don't change. The, the, the fact that God is revealed in Jesus through grace and truth. Those things don't change. But there are an awful lot of things that do change. There are an awful lot of things that do move. And that requires us 
to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. What is God doing in this particular moment? What is God doing in this particular place? What is God doing in this particular community? I really don't say this with any judgment whatsoever, but one of the things that drives me a little nuts about church culture right now in general, and part of why being here at Dreamhouse is so refreshing, is that it seems like almost everybody buys into the kind of church-in-a-box idea that so long as you do these handful of things, you will get these handful of results. The same way like you franchise a fast food restaurant. Part of why that scares me is that it's actually true. If you, if you tighten it up enough and you do the same thing the same way, you kind of can guarantee the same results. I mean, I, I, this is embarrassing, but I sometimes eat really bad when I'm on the road. I've been healthy, and then like this week I was really off the rails. I, I am embarrassed. This is sad but true. I promise you I ate Chick-fil-A twice yesterday, and it wasn't like because I had some Christian connection with whatever. It's just a cut above the other fast food to me. I ate... Chick-fil-A in two very different... I was driving from Nashville to here. That was ten and a half hours. And I'm telling you, I, I, cannot, I did not taste a single difference in that chicken sandwich or in the fries from lunch to dinner, seven hours apart. It was precisely the same. It was. Things can be franchised. Things can be packaged. It's funny, like, we're celebrating this now. And it is a thing we're celebrating. Like, in Chick-fil-A, this is good. This is grace. Like, we like... I like the consistency of that. I love knowing that I can roll up in any town and the... I'm getting hungry just thinking about this. And they're closed on Sunday, so this is counterproductive. The fried chicken with the pickles and the mayonnaise, like in the butter on the bun. I, I know the glory is going to be consistent in that every single time. I'm grateful for that. But I get... Thank you for bearing witness. I like that this is the one area y'all are preaching with me. It's like, oh, that, this other stuff was fine. Yeah, the Chick-fil-A part, though, that was awesome. I like that. <laughs> we like it when you talk like about chicken. So, but it scares me a little bit like in a church context, right? Because if, if it can be packaged and done the same way, the exact same way in every place, in every community, then, then it might work with or without the Holy Spirit. And, and that, that frightens me just a hair. <laughs> because... What if the, the thing in the box that might work in a certain way, kind of a mechanical way, what if, what if that's not what God wants to do in a particular community? What if, what if different communities, imagine this, have different needs? And what if the Holy Spirit wants to do something specific in a context? Oh, particular things for particular people. Ooh, maybe what God is doing in Newport News is supposed to look like what's happening in New York City, maybe what God, or, or, or Newark, New Jersey, or whatever, I'm full of alliteration right now. Uh, maybe it's maybe it's supposed to be different they're, they're, I just the mark of the spirit again is that kind of adaptability and flexibility and openness uh, this is how we did it one time and it might have even been something that God really blessed and used but I'm just not sure that's what God is doing right here right now I don't know if that's what the Holy Spirit's saying I think we I think we need to be a little bit less afraid of that a little bit more open to just, to just where God has us to be in the moment. You know, don't get me wrong. Um, it's an unstable time. And there are very real ways in which I find this to be kind of a scary time to be alive. I don't know how y'all feel about that. I, there's kind of a lot of stuff to be scared of objectively. I mean, we are genius at coming up with things that can destroy us. All kinds of weapons and viruses and the general instability of the political climate right now oh man 
Like there are some, I absolutely have days where I think, eh, we're all going to die. Not because of some like prophetic thing. It's not like some end times charts and graphs and just like, we are hell bent on destroying ourselves. So it probably is going to happen. I have, I have those moments to be sure. I mean, it's a volatile time. It's a shaky time. That's why I know these things aren't comforting to hear in this moment. But see, that's the other thing that, that kind of excites me about the moment we're living. There have been so many folks who I feel, feel like even telegraphed this before this season came, this idea that this is also really the age of the Spirit. That in a time where there's all kinds of chaos and instability, that we are ripe for a movement of the Spirit. Right now, people don't trust institutions the way that they used to. So we can bemoan that and be sad about it and say, oh, don't be mad at the institution or don't leave the church, whatever else. Or we can embrace that maybe in that institutional instability and shakeup, that there might be a new openness to the Holy Spirit. That while structures and systems, political, ecclesiastical, whatever, while, while those things are shaping, what if people are actually open to the wind of the Spirit and might, would do things that they wouldn't ordinarily do or be open to things they wouldn't, ordinarily be open up to precisely because there's a kind of desperation in the air that just forces us to be open. See, that's the thing that's so wonderful about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit always does his, her best work when our backs are against the wall and we have no idea what to do. That's when the Holy Spirit is able to do the really, really creative things. That's when the Holy Spirit is able to really carve out something new is when there's such an exasperation with the old and there's such a ah, desperation will make you open to any and all kinds of things. And in the midst of that is an openness to the Spirit. Even if some of what's happening around us right now actually is chaos and some of it is kind of destructive in some ways, that doesn't mean that there's not something of the wind of the Spirit in it, that in that restlessness that's also stirring it up. See, I just, I don't know. I, me, I think I'm becoming weirder the further I go, but it's like, like legitimately, I'm not even being funny. Like I actually think I'm getting a little weirder, but part of that is I just keep seeing in all this instability, I just keep seeing openness. You know, um, I'm not going too long. This, I'm, I'm okay. I'm good. Like one of the things I love right now, you know, the very fact this morning that we're doing all things we're doing, I mean, I'm standing over this communion table in what's clearly a pretty charismatic church. I heard people singing in tongues all around me this morning. And we've got these murals on the wall and we did lectionary readings and like, what, what, what on earth? What is happening? Part of what I love so much right now is that never before in history, now I know a lot of people like can, everybody wants to think their time is special, but I think this is objectively true in the history of the church. There has never been such a blurring of the lines between Christian traditions as there is right now. Such a sense of openness to each other. I mean, you know, Pentecostals and Charismatics doing liturgical things and liturgical people doing Pentecostal things. And uh, like all, all these doors are open and conversation happening. I, you know, see, to me, that's something of the work of the Holy Spirit. The, the restlessness and the desperation is kind of having a way of pushing Christian traditions together that don't really even want, where we don't even want to have anything to do with each other. But Jesus prayed in John 17 that his church would be one. And so it's got to happen. <laughs> and it wouldn't happen in peacetime. Do you hear what I'm saying? <laughs> it wouldn't happen when everything's fine. Like when, when we have infinite time to sit around and think about our theological distinctives, you can guarantee 
that there's not going to be unity in that context. But when it feels like everything's under attack and everything's shaky, we don't know what to do, then people start coming together that wouldn't ordinarily come together. Do you hear what I'm saying? There are all these opportunities right now. You know, I think that there are unique gifts, particular gifts that God has given to sons and daughters, some of whom are here this morning, who, who there is something the Holy Spirit has put inside of you to prophesy, something to speak, something to create, something to make, something to be, something to do. And in a time that what it is, would be like less weird than the one that we're in now, you'd never do it <laughs> because you wouldn't have to when things are stable enough and everything's clear enough and things are kind of rigid and we know where everything fits, then we don't get pushed out to do things that are uncomfortable. But it's precisely when the Spirit comes like a violent, rushing, mighty wind and there's disruption and there's a kind of chaos that people now are open to speak in new tongues and people are open to prophesy who would not have prophesied before. Think about that even the text. Women are prophesying. Slaves are prophesying. Doesn't matter where people are in socioeconomic background. Doesn't matter whether or not they have some kind of ecclesiastical authority in the church. If the Holy Spirit falls on them, whether that be your, you know, if that's your mother, your sister, your daughter, whoever, you, you better listen when the Holy Spirit is poured out on someone. Do you hear what I'm saying? There's an openness to that when everything is being stirred up. And I'm just wondering right now, I really... I, it feels like about time to land this. I just, I, I'm just wondering right now, in your own being stirred up, in the things that are even swirling in the chaos in you, where's the, what's the invitation of the Spirit in the midst of that? What's the invitation of the Spirit in the midst of the chaos? How about for just a minute? I, I'm all right with lament, so I think it's okay to be honest about how you feel anytime with God, with others. That's good. But how about for just a moment we, not, we don't complain about how weird it is and how unstable we feel and how we don't know what to do. What's the invitation of the Spirit in this moment? That's the, that is the question I'm trying to shift all my attention to these days, is that whenever I find myself about to kind of go into, man, things are just so awful and I hate this and I hate that and I'm so mad at this and we have so much rage and so much outrage right now. Good grief. And it's tricky, too, right? Because then there actually are things worth being outraged about. And yet, man, I don't know how to live in perpetual outrage all day, every day. Like, hey, I don't, even have, I don't have the emotional capacity to be equally outraged about every injustice, every moment. Do you hear what I'm saying? Like, so much outrage. <laughs> and so instead of just being outraged, that's my new posture right now, is just trying to be open. Okay, maybe there are plenty of things that are outrageous. There's plenty of things that are not ideal. What's the invitation of the Holy Spirit in this moment? What's the invitation? What is God calling us to now? To, to be open to, to each other, to God's presence in ways that we would not have been before. What's the invitation in this moment now? Man, I, I just, I would even encourage you. I, and please, I hope you can kind of hear that this coming from sort of a desperate place in me, from kind of a deep place, because y'all don't know me well enough to understand. I am deeply cerebral and analytical and I always think about broad narratives and I, I want to know why everything is. I want to know why. Why, why, why? I want to know why about every, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I have boundless curiosity. So anything happening in my life, happening in the world, I need to know why. Why is this the way it is? Why? Psychologically, 
emotionally, spiritually, whatever, why, sociologically, why is it? And I feel like part of what I'm learning about what it is to follow Jesus is that I'm, this is bad news for people like me. God almost never answers the why questions. And how about this? The real truth is the why questions are kind of irrelevant. I think a lot of times if we knew why it wouldn't help us. It wouldn't really change anything. How many times in my life have I been in some kind of a bad way and I've spent countless hours trying to figure out why I'm in that place? Why? Did God send this? Or, or was it the devil? Is it a test? Did I sin? Am I being punished? Let me roll that one off the list for you because the God fully revealed in Christ tells us that his father makes the sun to shine and the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. So what God is doing is blessing. What God is doing is offering grace. God is not, you know, kind of the karma police just going around making sure everybody gets what they deserve. That's not what God is up to. Let me help you with that. But part of what I've learned, man, is like, and, and, and you know what? I think this has even been true in moments where, because I've had a lot of those, where being in a not great place was kind of my fault. I still think understanding the why of that was not the most crucial thing. I think what always, what gets me through is when I shifted this question of, okay, what is God doing in this moment? What is God inviting me to here? It, a, a, a great example of this, I promise I'm almost done. In the Old Testament, the wilderness. I mean, yes, we can say plenty, right, about the wilderness as punishment or testing or trial. I mean, the Israelites did not believe and they were idolatrous and we could talk about wilderness as punishment or whatever else. But I love like the simplicity that in the prophet Hosea, God specifically says, I'm going to bring you out, out back into the wilderness to romance you. And there's this idea that the wilderness is the place where God romances us. Hey, if you're in the wilderness and the invitation of the Spirit is to draw close to the heart of God, maybe it's, maybe it's not the ideal time to spend all your energy thinking about, how did I get here? What if I'd have done something different? How do I get out? Also, usually an irrelevant question. <laughs> What's the Holy Spirit doing now? What's God's invitation to me right here, right now? Not why is this? Not how do I get here? Not how did I get out? Those are head questions. What's the invitation of the Spirit? What's God asking of me now? What, what is God making possible in this place that might not happen any other point in my life than right here, right now? You know, um, you, you were, Scott, when your kind introduction, you were talking about all the places I've been lately, and I have been a lot of places. And I'm in the process of moving. I left Tulsa, Oklahoma a few weeks ago in the process of moving to Nashville, Tennessee. But I've, thank you for whoever, somebody likes Nashville. That's good. It is a great place. And, but my parents are in Charlotte. And I'm just, it's kind of weird, you know, because like I, I went back to my parents' house and I'm sort of back and forth between Charlotte and Nashville until I find a place to live. And, you know, nobody exactly wants to go home at 40. It's not like, but there's a... I think Nashville's where I'm supposed to be, but it's in this kind of in-between. And I feel like over and over again, in the gentle way, the way the Holy Spirit is, you know, God is so, he's so tender with us. At least he is with me. That's one of these ways I recognize the voice of God is that there's a tenderness to it. I, I don't know why. After all these years, I still expect it to be harsh. Still expect him to like, you know, 
to jack me up somehow, to be upset, and see it always so tender. Man, but I feel like the, the Lord in tender ways keeps reminding me that actually this is a very sweet season and that probably never again in my life will I have a moment quite like this one where everything is this, is this open-ended and, and there is a flexibility to sort of do whatever the Holy Spirit's saying. Like, but, you know, I'm telling you, I say this after, per usual, in the midst of that, spending more days than not, still kind of bemoaning that it feels so unstable. Well, I want to know, but I, I want it to feel nailed down. I want to know exactly what I'm doing and exactly what it's going to look like. You know, but isn't that funny? Uh, then when things kind of stabilize and we get very rooted and connected, then we get bored and wish that we could be open-ended and flexible. Isn't that how that works? <laughs> so do you hear the point, though? Receiving God's invitation in the moment. In the moment. Things are open. So enjoy being open. <laughs> Things are flexible. So enjoy that flexibility. <laughs> it's, it's so funny the way that like, I, keep, I just keep seeing this, the way that when you start to listen to the invitation of the Spirit, something that feels one way, and actually even is one way, that there's just this slight shift. You know, you're in the unstable place, and there's a part of it that wants to say, man, I, I'm out here, in the wild, and anything could happen. The flip side of that is that you're out here in the wild, and anything could happen. You hear what I'm saying? That, I mean, just, the only thing I shifted was tone. Man, anything could happen. Or anything could happen, right? Or like a very fine line between, your, you know, the, 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 the hands up, freaking out, whoa, and the hands up, freaking out on a roller coaster where you say, wee. And I feel like so often, like, that's, the invita that's that subtle invitation of the Spirit is like, mm, shift just a little bit from the woe to the wee. <laughs> oh, I I'm not in control. I'm not in control of anything in my life right now. Oh, I'm not in control of anything in my life. I'm actually preaching really good right now. I'm not in control of anything. <laughs> There's not a thing in the world I can do to change this. There's not a thing in the world I can do to change this. So why not just strap in and just enjoy the ride? Do you hear what I'm saying? There's an invitation of the Spirit in that. Just to, like, just to let go. Not control the things that aren't given to you to control. Not dictate the things that aren't yours to dictate. Just to yield. Just to say yes. Just to say yes. Because that's ultimately, and I really am done, that is ultimately what it is to be filled with the Spirit and walk in the Spirit. That's all it is. It's a life of saying yes. That's all it is. Just yes, 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 yes. I don't know that I like it, but yes. I don't feel great about this right now, but yes. Uh, I'm pretty tentative, but yeah. You know, it, <laughs> but that's, that's the goal, right? It's just a way of saying yes. Stand with me. We need to pray. You want to do something now? Oh, I know you're in transition to the table. That's perfect. Um, just, I just want to pray for us and then I'll hand it over and I'm so excited because you know what? I feel like this meal is part of what grounds this, you know, is that we're on a journey where things are shifting and changing and we're shifting and changing and there's so many things that we're not sure about. But you know what? Part of what I love about coming to the table every week is that what we're reminded of each week is that Wherever we are in the journey or however different looks, there's always going to be provision. There's always going to be bread. There's always going to be wine. There's always going to be... God is, God is going to meet us. There, there, is, there is manna even in the wilderness. There is 
there, there are places of retreat and refreshing even in the wilderness. Oh, let's pray for that now. Lord, I just thank you for the gift of your sons and daughters who are here. And I thank you because I feel it in this place, just the openness to your spirit. I know that the hearts of your people here are tender and good. And there are people here who really are striving to say yes. They really are doing the best they can to try to posture their hearts in a way that's just, that's just humble. They just say yes to you. Part of what is so frustrating about saying yes to you is that <laughs> because you are the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and there is a wildness to you, whatever we say yes, we never know exactly what all we're saying yes to. <laughs> <laughs> we, we say yes to things having no idea what it's really going to mean, having no idea where the journey's really going to go. But God, if there's anything that we have learned, we have learned that we can trust your heart. We have learned that, or we are learning that we can trust your character, that we can trust your goodness, no matter how different this journey gets, how uncomfortable, how challenging. So God, I just pray, give us the grace to say yes this morning and that our open hands, even when we receive the elements today, would be an would be, would be open hands to your spirit in every aspect of our lives. Not grasping, not clutching, not clawing, not pulling, not holding. But open hands where you can hold us, where you can direct us. We just, we just yield to you now, spirit. And I pray, God, finally, that somehow you would move us from the woe to the we. And, and that like, just like that, classic serenity prayer. God, give us the grace. Grant us the grace. God, just to, to, yes, to change the things that we can, but accept the things that we can't change and accept that you're at work and that you're, you're doing good things and, and your spirit is doing good things even when we can't see it, God. Even when we see no fruit whatsoever, you're still up to something. When the circumstances don't change at all and the world seems to be exactly the same and even, or even getting worse, you're still up to things that we don't know anything about. So God, give us the grace to yield. We trust you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Like an LP, each episode is divided into side A and side B. Side A could be a sermon, a conversation with a guest, but will always introduce some idea. Side B will always be a creative exploration of that idea through music, question answering with listeners, or quirky rabbit trails off of side A for people who want the deep cuts, not just the singles. No matter who you are or where you come from, we hope this podcast will be a resource in helping you come to know the love that calls you by your true name. For more, go to jonathanmartinwords.com and sign up for our email list. Have a good day.